The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I knew I was chasing the wrong dreams at that time. I wasn't being authentic. And it was really simple. I just stopped. And I was like, I just think I'm going to get sober. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and today I'm joined by author, TV personality, director, life coach and interventionalist can't wait to talk about that mike diamond mike how are you doing today i'm really good brother thank you so much for having me absolutely on this show obviously you know we talk about a lot of mental health stuff but one of the best things about this show too is we get to know the people that are either in the field and also suffer with their own mental health sobriety we talk about everything on here so it's really like just a platform for you. And I just really, um, you know, I'm very thankful to have you on the show today. A dose of positivity, tools, techniques, and strategies to live life on your terms. Mike Diamond. So tell me tell me about the book. So when it came to you being an author, was it something that you saw as a challenge or was it something that you were actually, you know, ready to face head on? Or Because I always feel like writing a book is hard. It's really hard. And I'll tell you why it's hard. So I went to acting school and I was undiagnosed dyslexic with ADHD. So I am photographic. If I watch you do something, you know, I went and studied NLP later and after acting school, I realized that visually I'm, I'm photographic. If you, you do one thing in front of me, I remember it. But for me too, with the dyslexia and ADHD, because I wasn't in the environment to thrive, I was just stuck in stupid when I was a kid. And I just said, he's dumb. I was great at sports. So I was so athletic. Like I held championships running. I could play rugby. So that was so easy. So with the ADHD and the dyslexia, when it came to getting the thoughts on paper, I struggled. But I could communicate really well. That was my superpower. So when I came about writing a book, for me to just sit there and get the thoughts on paper was really hard. Because I don't like to cheat myself and get a ghostwriter or do an audio. Like, I want to sit there and physically write. So my first book, Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset, I, that was 150 pages. I got through it. That was fine. This book was different. I started writing it when the pandemic hit three years ago. And I didn't know what was going to come out of me. And I always tell people the most important thing you can do to get clear is right because this is clutter and if you sit and you write it gets clear it's very difficult to write down your thoughts and especially nowadays because we spend so much time on our phones 
and we spend so much time with too much information coming in, we don't clear it, clear it and filter. It's a lot easy for me to tell you a story and engage you like this. But if I have to for take sure. those thoughts and take you on a journey and slow you down and stop you thinking about what you're doing tomorrow or the traffic or your ex or whatever and engage you in a story and create your imagination, that's a real skill. It broke me. For you, do you write in a sense of, I want a dyslexic person to be able to enjoy this book? Or like you kind of write it like uh, in a sense of being like, I want someone to that actually has like a, you know, ADHD to be able to get through this book. I've got crazy self-discipline and consistency. And I model behavior really well. That's why I left Perth. Because I could, I came from an abusive background, but I could think greater than my environment. So if I saw someone do something and I really believed I could do it, I would just figure out, and I didn't understand the tools back then. I was like, all right, how do I close the gap from where I am to where I want to be? So what I did is I, I wrote the first draft and I literally wrote it off my phone on a Word document because that's how I could get the thoughts down quicker right. because they were coming through and then edited them. And the second draft, I sat with like this amazing editor. And I said, I want to get a really good publisher. And he's like, well, I'm going to break you. And I had to rewrite 70,000 words. Jeez. And I was like, yeah, how do I do I had to do four edits. I don't even think I could write 70,000 words if you asked me to. And then have to rewrite it. I can't even imagine. So this is the best thing it taught me is that when I then sat down, I was like, okay, I'm a really good speaker. But I went to Agnes, so I get that. I can create a speech. I can compel compelling. What's the skill of writing? So I went to the best, Stephen King. And he said, a great writer writes a thousand words a day. Don't worry mm. about what you write. Get in the habit of getting down the thoughts. So I was like, that's it. So what I did is I just locked in. I'm, my goal was I worked out how fast I write. And I'm like, I'm going to write every day a thousand words a day. And what happened was I built the habit to enjoy the process. And Got I it. pushed through. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like running. Anyone can really run a marathon if you remove time. It's like Goggins talks about, you know, he started off running one miles and he runs an ultra. So what I do is I forget, forget Stephen King's ability. Of course, he's way better than me, Stephen King. But I go to his process, right? So over repetition, we know that, if you want to start as a boxer or, or in jiu-jitsu, you start as a white belt for a reason. Now, for what sure. people can't do is do the reps. And so what I do is stick to the reps. So I'm like, if I can just every day, I always say successful people do the work no matter how they feel. Unsuccessful people only work when they feel good, they feel right, or the right time. You're never going to feel good. There's never going to be a right time. You just got to do it. So if I, like I can that. get into the habit, right, of pushing through the pain, because what do we do as humans, right? Avoid pain, mm. gain pleasure. That's human experience. Absolutely. I realized for me, the first 20 minutes of writing is going to be garbage. It's just going to be great. And then I'm going to edit it. And so then what I got good at is not my inner critic, not telling me, oh, you should be better. Like the high school teacher is like, no, just, just get down the thousand words. And then what I got good at is I started to study writers because people don't get enough information. They don't study great writers. They don't study great artists. They don't study Michael Jordan missing 10,000 shots. They just look at the end product and they don't realize that you can't get the trophy unless you do the training. Mm. So you've got to continually fail forward 
and make a mess. It's supposed to be messy. No one wants to make the mess, right? What everyone wants is the end product, but you don't get the, the cake unless you've got to mix the ingredients and go through the batter and burn a few cakes. Like they say, you know, you're going to mess the omelet up. So I just live in process. For someone like you, do you take like medication for your ADHD no. or do you find other ways to deal with it? I mean, I'm a straight addict. I used to smoke crack, do yeah. massive amounts of cocaine and drink like a savage. Like I'm a savage. Because if I do Ritalin or if I do Adderall, I'm, it's meth based. Like, so yeah. what I do is I do a supplement called DMAE, which is a natural like ADHD, but it won't, it's not a stimulant. I do drink coffee. But then if for my ADHD, if I drink coffee and take L-theanine with it, you don't get wired out of your titties. You feel good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, level, you can level yourself out a little bit. I'm the kind of guy that can drink three espresso and throw to bed. I'm true ADHD. I'm like fucking nuts. But I, I admit it. Like, I'm not one of these people, like any sober person that's 17 years sober like me. Good for you, man. Good for you. Good for you. And I couldn't go through 17 minutes, man. I used to fucking, oh my God, the coke and craziness. What did you love the most? Coke. Coke, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would stop drinking to do Coke. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I was like that, too. And it's like the weirdest thing about it, too, is like when you get it, you know it's going to be gone soon. And you know you're going to have to get on that phone and call that guy again. And there's nothing worse than calling your dealer at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's one of the most embarrassing fucking things to do. It's the best. It is it's the best. The, it's the best. It is. Because you know it's going to be gone. And you know the guy was just here. I should have just bought more. I don't know why I didn't do it. <laughs> you know, the best thing, I'll never forget this. So, look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If I could do massive amounts of blow, right, and drink and be an arsehole and get up the next day and feel fine and I wouldn't break down and be a fucking nut job, why would I not do it? Cocaine works. I tell it's people not, that. Like, yeah. It's not right. It's like, you know, you, like, it's like when people say, do you think people do prefer enhancing drugs? They're, they're called performance-enhancing drugs. Cocaine is cocaine. There's no substitute. There's no natural thing that beats steroids or beats cocaine. Cocaine is no. the real deal. When you snort it, you like you think you've arrived, but you're yes. going nowhere. Every idea you have, <laughs> that's why Charlie Murphy goes, cocaine's a hell of a drug. Because you say it shit that is just coming out of your mouth it makes no sense. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you know, you know, you're never going to throw, follow through the next day, ever. One of the craziest like revelations I ever had with cocaine was, you know, in the beginning when you start doing it, everybody knows if you're high. Like you can't hide being high on cocaine. I don't give a fuck how good you are of an actor or how good you are just like trying to. Everyone knows you're high. Yeah. Then when I was going out, I was like, you know, I don't want people to know I'm high or like, you know, people are going to know I'm high. Then I realized, oh, shit, they're all fucking high, too. <laughs> Dude. You get into this fucking vicious cycle where everyone around you is fucking high. Everyone. The best thing was, see, my wife's a normie and she used to go out of L.A. clubs. And I, when I used to go from New York to L.A. because I was in New York forever, I knew straight away who was doing coke. I just walk into a bathroom and start looking at people. All right. And my wife's like, what? And I was trying to tell her, I was like, we went to a party and I was sober at the time. I'm like, oh, they're all in the bathroom doing blow. She's like, how do you know? I'm like, you don't sit in the bathroom for 40 minutes. Yeah. Unless, no. Like I got colitis and I don't sit in the bathroom for 40 minutes. Like, do you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like, they're not, what are they? It's fucking plumbers? Like, it's not, it's no, true. they're just, 
Yeah, they're ripping the fucking the the the, the yeah. thing off the porcelain. But it's yeah, so funny thing. when you talk about that. It's yeah. you know, it's like, first of all, girls go to the bathroom together, not four dudes. We're not talking about the last last night's game. We are snorting rails. It's fucking nuts. yes. Snorting rails and talking about uh, what fucking bets oh, we're going to put that night. It's still stupid. But the best thing was, I'll never forget, I was with Scott Weiland one night and we were partying. And it was really funny. And there was a sober dude at this party and I was excited because another rocker dude. I don't want to mention his name. but And I yeah. was like, dude, this guy's here. And he's like, I don't want to fucking be here. If he's here, we're too fucking high. I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, wait here. So I ran out and I go to the guy. Hey, man, I'll see you later. He goes, where's Scott? I go, I don't know. And we left. But it was so funny. Like if I was at a, I, this is bad. I would ask people who was going to the party if someone invited me to a party because then I would know, oh, dude, I got my peeps there. I can duck away and do some blow and pretend I'm normal. Yeah. Blow buddies. Yeah. yeah. If, I, if they weren't there, then I'm like, ah, oh, sorry, man. I think I'm going to pull a hamstring that night. Did you ever do it by yourself? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, that's when I knew it was starting to get weird when I was like, Doing it by myself to like watch The Office. You know what's crazy when because in New York it was work hard, play hard. I did yeah. deals. I would be at clubs in New York, literally doing fistfuls of coke, talking to people, saying, "Hey man, what are you doing tomorrow?" And they're like, "Come by the office." And I'd be pitching projects with people, and I would go with people that didn't party like me, and they were like, "Dude." Weren't we just doing blow with a guy all night? I go, like, yeah, he'll be in his office and at eight, nine in the morning, like dressed up, kind of pulling it off. And we would be talking about shows. And some of them would go through. We're like pitching stuff and doing pilots. And he's like, what is going on? I go, hey, I don't know, but it's working. That's the craziest thing about it, too, is like when you start planning your whole day around it, that's when it was, oh, I knew yeah. it was starting to get weird. <laughs> right. Where you know can I I I'm literally <laughs> planning my day around a bump. Like, that's fucking crazy. When you start to think of it, that, that's so funny. It's like when people prep their workouts or prep their meals. Like, I've got to get my workout in, got to get my meal. I've got to get some blowing. I've got to make sure that if I don't get a couple lines in by this time, like, things are going to go. Aside. Yeah, you're right. That's that's when, you know, it's, come on, you start to look at yourself. You're like, what am I doing here? Bit silly. 100%. For you, what was the breaking point? What was your rock bottom when it came to you to be like, yeah. Party's over. Well, you know what it was? I got sober at a young age. I got sober at 19 the first time. Then I moved to America and I would go in and, in and out of sobriety. It was kind of like I had this ability to kind of discipline myself, work, do these things, do drugs, drink. And I'll be honest, I was I helped Army James get on Miami Inc. and, and Charlie yeah. create their franchise. And I was getting tattooed on the show and we were shooting a VH1 documentary about my life owning a bar with Scott Weiland. And I was, you know, in the middle of it, dude. And we were a couple of weeks wrapped and I was partying pretty hard with him. And, and his ex-wife now, wife at the time, Mary, she was packing up with the kids, dude. And she was, she was done. And I just had an epiphany one night. We're partying. And I just kind of looked at him like, what are we going to do? And he's like, dude, I'm Scott Weiland. I zoomed out. I literally zoomed out and I just sat and I was like, Wait, I'm a kid from Perth, Western Australia. I want a green card and a lottery to get here. I'm the top of a mountain, so to speak. And back then it was impossible to win. So I've got this great opportunity. I'm, I'm with one of the biggest rock stars in the world at the time. 
And I'll be honest, I was miserable. I was like, it's not fun anymore. I guess I, I knew I was chasing the wrong dreams at that time. I wasn't being authentic. And it was really simple. I just stopped. And I was like, I just think I'm going to get sober. And I literally called a friend of mine who had a lot more time. He's like 15 years at the time. And I said, look, I just want to do a 180 and see what happens. And I just went to meetings, three meetings a day. I still was in the bar business for a while. And I just didn't think about it anymore. I just knew I kind of, I'm really good at kind of, there's a part of me intuitively that knows the edge. Like I kind of can, I go, Ooh, yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, it's like that. Yeah. It's like when I was in the bar business, right. And I was working at nightclub doors, right. I could smell if someone was coming up wind. Like I could sense, I'm like, that guy's a fucking crazy dude. If you're going to throw down with that guy, you're either going to have to kill him or he's going to kill you. So I could kind of read that, that part of me, like, nah, dude, I'm good. If you want to like grow up with some people and they're in jail or dead now, like they don't have that switch. They don't know. Even as a drug addict, like I could see like, oh, this is, this is going to crash and burn eventually. Also, cocaine gives you that fucking spider sense too, where you could, you could hear somebody whistling fucking 45 fucking meters away. Like seriously. But you know why it was created? Like it's, it's for those reasons back in the day, whoever created it. So yeah, so that was my rock bottom. And then ever since, I never, ever, I was never tempted after that. I was like, yeah, I'm done with that life. I just turned it to a page. Yeah. You started doing like, you know, hard stuff early. Like I didn't start doing hard stuff because until like a little bit later in life, until like my 20s. But like you were like 15, 16 getting fucked up, right? I started drinking and smoking pot. I was was eating acid like 14. I just went for it. If someone asked me like, do you need to do drugs? I'm like, no, you don't. Really, you don't. But I think part of the human experience is to experience it. and. So, you know, when you're done, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of people yeah. I can connect with an addict because I can go, I've been there, dude. It's, it's a disempowering choice. I'll give you some choices because I don't tell people to quit. I'm like, how about we substitute? Right. You're doing this. Why don't we substitute for a better habit? And then you tell me, which is more empowering. And then that way people go, all right, I'll give that a shot. And I'm like, don't do this. It's like, don't say drugs. Don't say no to drugs. Exactly. What the fuck are you yeah. talking about? That work. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? How old do you think I am? 44? 50. Oh, all right. See, I gave you six years. Yeah. There it is. So you're 50. I'm 34. So you're you're a different era, but like we had like D.A.R.E. program where everything yeah. was like, yeah. uh, drugs are going to fucking kill you, man. And for some reason... Kind of made us want to do drugs. I'm not saying that it wasn't like, I'm not saying it was a bad program, but I'm just saying like, like, damn dude, like when they listed off uh, like marijuana and like, it can make you sleepy. I'm like hungry. I'm like, doesn't sound terrible. Right. But you see how you nailed that, right? That's why someone like, and there's nothing wrong with a cop. There's nothing wrong with someone that's a P that has a PhD, but I, I'm like, if someone has experienced something, right? Like if I'm going to do an intervention, right? Because that's what I do, right? And I only became an interventionist because I would watch people when I decided to become, to, to work as a sober coach interventionist and they weren't good at what they were doing. I'm like, this person, they're not connecting with the person. They're telling them what to do. That's not how you get someone into treatment. So what I would do is I know where you've been. 
if I've done coke with you, I know what it feels like to be on coke. I've done heroin. I've done these drugs. So all I do is I meet the person where they're at and say, I, I know where you're at. I also know what it's like to have trauma. I also know what it's like to be beaten and abused and suffer pain and have emotional issues, right? And mental health issues. So I'm just like, I get you. I know where you're at, but I also know if you follow a certain steps, which I can put in the book very simply and different things, I know a way that you can move away from that and make a more empowering choice. That's it. Like when people go on and say, I hate people that tell people what to do. I never tell people what to do. It's none of my business. If I see them falling, I offer them a hand and I try to help them redirect them so they don't make the same mistake. That's it. You don't have to blame people. You have to beat people. You have to scream at them. They've got a certain amount of information they've gathered. And do they need to gather more information? Have you ever seen the uh, Sopranos intervention episode? The best. Everyone asks me about that. So fucking he starts cracking him. It's the funniest thing ever. This motherfucker, I used to fucking smoke crack with him. It's so good. So good. Have you ever had like situations like that? I've only been the one interventionist for a friend of mine. And they did talk about like, you know, to be non um, emotional about yeah, like, emotional, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. And confronting and stuff. So every time I, I see that episode, I, I literally watched it like two nights ago. It's like one of my fucking favorite scenes. And have you ever had to break up a fight in an intervention? So what happened was I was co-chairing with a person. So I do a lot of research. So I try yeah. to get the family together. I try to figure it out if they want a family style intervention. And I was like, something doesn't, the, the one of the people doesn't seem right. And what I found out was the dad was giving the son drugs behind the mum's back. So when it came to like the kid wanting to like everyone putting pressure on him, he's like, I ain't going. This motherfucker gives me the fucking dope. And I was like, oh my God. So then they went at it. And I was just like, damn it. And I looked at it like, what do you, when you fucking do some research, right? What can you do in that situation if a family like starts fighting? You got to break them up. You can't let people start swinging punches at each other. You just got to kind of intervene, spread them out. Now I've done ones where they're like, executive interventions where they'll just call me and say, go find this person. And then it's just me. And, and I've got to deal with someone that's like in a bad place. They could be in a motel six. I got to pull them. I pull people out of crack houses, you know, you go in, you find them. And then you got to try and find, I find a mobile nurse. I take them to like a place to detox them. Then I transport them. I mean, and they're crazy and it's just you and that's them. A lot. Yeah. It's, it's intense. How do you not take your work home with, or are you one of those people that enjoy taking your work home with you? No, I never take my work home with me. So what I do, I learned this really good thing. So I don't talk to my wife about my work ever. I have friends. Corley own style. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just I need to know basis. And then I have friends that I can confide in that we call, we dump, we dump on each other. So they could call me. And they can dump their shit on me. I think the, the reason people lose it is because people don't give them air to express and talk. And I always give people time. Like, I'll give you a perfect example. Yesterday, I had my book signing in LA. Everything went wrong. Everything, right? And I have the best publicist, Jen. She's the fucking best. I would die for Jen. She, and, and people don't treat her right. And she's the best. And she was just going through stuff. We've become very close friends. I'm like, whatever you need. And we just... I let her talk about what she was frustrated about and sure. just giving her that moment to work through it. She was fine. 
everything ended up going perfect because we, we give each other space to express. People don't want to listen to people. So then when people don't want to listen to people, they get frustrated. And when they get frustrated, what do they do? They just, they get bottled up. They don't have tools. Like they don't know how to breathe. They don't know how to regulate themselves. So they take the resentments, they take the frustrations. And then what do they do? They take it out in the street. So it's never the person, like I always tell people, right? If someone, someone speeds by me and cuts me off, I'm like, that's on them. They're in a, in a hurry. They didn't get up the night before and say, I wonder where Mike Diamond's going to be on the freeway today because I'm going to make sure I'm going to cut that motherfucker off and I'm going to piss him off, right? So I always say, you never know where the person's coming from. You don't know where they're going. So don't get caught in the crosshairs in the middle. Give people space. Smooth fucking back. Be the matador. It's the truth because, like, there have been, like, situations I've just been in personally that have escalated so, like, high where it's like, we're going to, like, I'm going to fight this person. And I'll literally be like, yo, you doing okay, man? And it, like, de-escalates, like, the craziest situations sometimes. You know what I say to people? What do you need? I was in a road rage incident in, in Florida. Dude got out of the car. I was like walking up, going to try. I got out of the car instead of being like, oh, you motherfucker. This fuck guys go, dude, what's wrong? Are you okay? What do you need? I was literally yeah. just like, but it's amazing. Going on? And then when you do that, like something like triggers in their brain where they have to like respond to the question. Yeah. So it kind of like escalates because they have to actually think about what's going on with them. See what you're doing in that. Like I, I recently I was. You know, we're human, right? I was pulling into my grocery store, a fucking grocery store. And I didn't, wasn't, I didn't see the guy. And I was pulling in and he's like, eh. and I'm like, no problem, dude. Like, no problem. And so I backed up and I was like, go for it. And he was like cursing and cursing. I'll give you an inner space, right? So I just pulled down. I parked. And he looked at me and slammed his door. I'm like, dude, I gave you the space. It's all good. Yeah. I didn't see you, right? And he's just like, well, what the fuck? And I'm like, what, what the fuck what, man? I gave you the space. It's all good. Right now, at that point, what I know is that that guy has never been given tools to breathe and relax. So he doesn't know the danger's not there, right? What I do is I just let the person be. I don't try to convince them that I'm right. I don't try to convince them it's over. I just give them space. Because if no one's taught you to breathe, and calm yourself down. And all your life, you've been taught to suppress and hold your anger and be angry, right? And then go out to the world and be frustrated. And no one says, hey, 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 take a breath. The danger's gone. The guy gave you the parking space back. So what does the other person do, right? He's like, well, what's your fucking problem, man? I gave you the space. Well, I don't know what your fucking problem. And then you get in a fight and you're not even, you're not even wrong. You don't even know why you're fighting. That's that's the thing. That's the thing. I always say this too. Like you've got problems, and people kind of forget that sometimes, right? All the time, I got problems. I do. I got problems, and I deal with other people's problems all day. Isn't that the hardest part? You know, we're doing a show right now to just help people and, and help break stigma and talk about just have conversations. You know, just people that odds are would have never met. We get to have a conversation. That's why I love this fucking show. And it's like people forget that, you know. We got, we got some serious fucking problems too. That's why people ask me. They're like, why do you get up between three and four in the morning? I said, because no one's going to bother me. And oh. I don't know how much time I need by myself to get my shit together. 
my brain. I don't know. Like some days I wake up and I've got like, I think I've got problems, but I don't. And my head's going crazy. So I'm like, I need an extra stretch. I need to extra meditate. I need to journal more. I need to read more. I need to check in with people. I do all that three or four hours before I even look at my phone and check in with anyone. So I'm not set. How the fuck can I talk to people and help them? Because it's like that for me too. It's like my fiance sometimes she'll be like, why are you like, why are you not in bed yet? I'm like, listen, like there's like a three hours at night where I actually, the everyone else that I know of is okay. Everyone's like home, you're home. The dogs are fed. They're walked. You're good. You're, you're asleep, you know? And now I just need this time to confront myself and be like, yeah. all right, what are we dealing with? What can we do better? And a lot of the times too, like, I'm a stand-up comedian. So like I don't write around my fiance. You know, my fiance time is fiance time, you know, like yeah, but I'll take those times where I'm like, I need this time where I'm not on the clock either for work or like whatever. It's the silence that I enjoy so much. And it's just yeah. a, a blessing to have like that three hours every night where I'm just like, I can do whatever I want and confront myself have those conversations and also what can I just do better the next day? And I always have little goals. I used to set these huge goals and like tell people about them and like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Then I just decided, you know, I'm going to shut the fuck up for a little bit. And then I'm going to, you know, that's the worst thing is that you have to realize that you have to tell yourself to shut the fuck up and actually kind of be about, be about the action. So, you know, that's like kind of why, like, you know, I, I really, really, really relate to what you were talking about, you know, just having that small time by yourself so you don't fucking go nuts. I'll give you this. And this is a great th- saying I heard. If you do the work in the dark alone, you shine in the bright lights. There it is. I agree. Right. And you've got to do that alone work. But here's a beautiful thing that I teach people now. So, you know, your inclination is to do stand up comedy. Because you can't lie. You get up in front of people. You know if you're good at it or not. You can't bullshit stand-up comedy. I actually did right. shows at the comedy store, and it's not its n- not my purpose to do comedy. I was lucky I went to acting school. I've got good comedy timing. I can do it, but it's not my, my real thing. My thing is motivational speaking, interventions, and healing. Now, if I go, you know your inclination, okay? You also have to, if you want to get paid in that profession, you have to bring value to other people. So you also know how to know a standard. And in that standard, that means you have to know a level of work and repetitions. Just like once you arrive, it's now building the career in the NFL, right? You're obviously good at it because you get paid to do it, right? Stand-up comedy, there's no lies. I tell people, if you want to be good at something, do fucking stand-up comedy. Shut up, right? This ain't no YouTube yeah. stuff doing clips. This is stand-up comedy. So then what I do to people is say, it's very simple. Here is some empowering rituals and routines. When you first wake up, journal your thoughts. They're like, why? And I said, because once you're going to wake up, you're like, how do I feel? I'm anxious. Why am I anxious? Well, I've got these things I'm worrying about. What action can I take right now to solve these problems? How does my body feel? It feels stiff. Okay, why don't I stretch today? Journal the fog. Get the fog. Clear the fog in the morning. Then do a little breath work. You could do Wim Hof. You can do mindfulness breath, for the, whatever. Regulate your breathing. Get the new oxygen in your body. Do a little stretching. Stretch the body. Then do some kind of movement. Don't have to overdo it. You don't have to run like David Goggins. Just do some kind of movement, right? After you do that, 
do a little warm shower, a little cold shower. Why? Because the warm is good to calm the body. The cold is good to shock it, get you ready. I go, if you do that every day and then say, read something positive for 10 minutes, just something positive and uplifting, write down three things to be grateful for, you're set. You've got a great start. So I know I'm already set because what do I say? Preparation meets opportunity is luck. But if you're not prepared, you don't get the opportunity, right? Tell people like this too. It's like, you know, I went viral 10 years ago and like I made a career out of it. That's like super rare. Like people don't do that. You know, like people that like, oh, I'm viral, but they don't know how to keep going with it. You said a beautiful thing. So you went viral, you understood you went viral, but then you knew you had to work on your craft. And that's the key. Everyone wants the trophy, but no one wants to train, right? So you understood then, okay, I've got this spot. Right, look, I get on the show Intervention. They never change the interventionist. It's the biggest addiction show. I used to fucking be shooting a VH show being a crackhead when it started. It's been around for 20 years. Now, great. I've got a book deal. I've got four books written, right? Or two more. I've got a publisher. Great. Now I'm going to do the work. Yep. Right? It's like people get into, they, they do four years in college, and they don't realize once you get into the, the, the pros, it's a reset. It's a start again. It's like when you climb the top of one mountain, it's the bottom of the next. You keep climbing. It's humbling. When I signed to William Morris, I was like, Oh, like I made it. And then they were kind of like, <laughs> nah, dude. you have to go to Buffalo on a Tuesday. Like clubs won't book you on a weekend if they don't know who you are. Like now you have to go and prove yourself to these clubs that you could sell tickets. And I'm like, God damn, dude. Like, cause like I told people, I learned this years ago, but it never sunk in. I was what I went to this thing, this masterclass and I watched Gary Oldman and this is many years ago. And Gary Oldman said, you know, he booked Richard III and Hamlet. He auditioned for both and he didn't realize he'd get both. And he celebrated. He goes, I got both plays. And he's like, fuck, I've got eight hours of theater to practice for, right? And that's why I try to tell people, celebrate a win for 24 hours. If you suffer a loss, suffer for 24 hours because all you have is 24 hours. We can't go back in time. We can reflect and then learn from it, right? So in all reality, all we have in space and time is you and I on a podcast. That's it. Yeah. Nothing matters. So I have a book signing, right? It's great. Or, and I said to my publisher to make sure, I was like, look, I don't want to come out of the blocks and send ten, sell 10,000 books and never sell out a book. I want to sell books for the next 30 years. And they're like, that's the mentality we want. Because I watch these people, right? Everyone's fucking... Instagram famous or, and then all of a sudden they change the Instagram thing and all these fake influencers now have to get real jobs and, and all, anybody could get verified for 12 bucks and all these people paying for fake verifications. My Uber driver picked me up and he goes, I'm verified. I'm like, you're a fucking Uber driver. How are you verified? Like who are you, but you know what I mean? I'm very, it's like, I'm very upset with this too, because I got verified through my agency. So, you know, they, they have like portals and they put you through there, but I got verified like two weeks ago and now everyone oh, can get verified. Oh my God. But how messed up is that, right? How messed up that you go through the portal. My agent put me through the portal and I was going through so much stuff, legit book deal, you know, legit TV shows, New York Inc., Bondi Inc., A&E. And then they do it. But then you know what? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've done it for years, but you know what? I was like, it doesn't matter. It's okay. Yeah. 
that's where I settle in. Now. I was 24 hours. I was fucking pissed, though. Yeah, but but I, you know what I laughed about? I said, look, at the end of the day, it's like I always say, man, you're not a paper champ. We've done the miles in the ring. The paper champ can hold the title. That one day, that ring rat, he's going to line up against the paper champ. And then he's got a glass jaw. That's the thing I love about, about doing stand-up, though, too. It's like this month here, I'm going to cheaply plug my dates, but I'm in Chicago. It's like my first theater show. Then the next night, I'm doing two shows in Toronto, both sold out theaters. Wow. And, and then, so amazing. And then the 29th, and then 29th, I'm in Montreal. You really can only celebrate for 24 hours. Then you got to go to another fucking city and, and, and do that. You have to have a short memory of being like, yo, like my life is fire. And then it's like you start thinking about it like, yo, like I sold out this theater. And then it's like Drake sold out Madison Square Garden in three minutes. Louis sold out Madison Square Garden in like a day. You yeah. know, like celebrate those little wins, let them add up, but I you can't let them just go to your head because it's like for you, I'm sure too, even with sobriety, right? So it's like people will get to a year sober and they'll be like, yo, I got this. Like it's all right. Like I got a handle on it now. It just doesn't work yeah. that way. No, and I think you said it. You know where I learned it from? It was really beautiful because I've watched a lot of people have a lot of shit and lose it, making bad choices, thinking. It's a job and it, it's an honor to, for us to be in a position that we can influence so many people with our talents and the talent, we didn't, we didn't, God gave us the talent and then we worked the talent, but it wasn't, it was a gift. It was a gift and it's our job to give back the gift. Eminem said it so beautifully. He was in the studio with some rapper. I don't remember the exact rapper's name and, and Eminem said, I'll be there from nine to five. And the guy thought he was joking. The guy f- turned up at 4.45 and Eminem left. And the guy was like, where are you going? He goes, I said nine to five. The second day he did the same thing. He came late, Eminem left. The third day he came at nine. Eminem, great. So he was in the booth and he was rapping. And then he, he breaked at like one o'clock. And the guy goes, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to go have lunch. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, I'll be back. And he finished at nine to five. They, they recorded the album. Eminem was just incredible. So disciplined, got it done. And he pulled him aside and he said, what's going on? He said, why? And he goes, it's a job. I work from nine to five. I'm not bigger than the job. My job is to come in here and deliver. And I was like, that is the best, the most realistic mentality of what a successful artist. It, it's a job. Yes, it is art. But to be a good craftsman is to know when to turn it on, when to turn it off. And I was telling someone the other day, I said, the hardest thing to do that most people can't do that I've learned to do now is that you never arrive, be present in the moment. So like last night when everything was going wrong, or say, say, say you and I, you know, in five years from now, I'm doing a speaking gig down the street and it's 5,000 people and you're doing 5,000 people and we see each other and we check into the hotel and, and the rooms aren't ready and we flip out. This guy's a fucking piece of shit. This guy's this, this guy's that. And then from that, we go out because we think we're cool. We've made it right. We bump into people. And then what happens is, right, People buy my book. I'm like, that guy was a dick. And people go to see the comedy show. I was like, you know what? I checked in. He was a dick. And what happens with that is, is you become the dick. And you oh, yeah. become the guy over time that people are like, I don't want to work with him. I don't want to work with that guy. Look, I never like to talk bad about people but or politi- politics. But Kanye West, right? What he did, and I don't want to talk about him, I, what, his success is incredible, what he's done, but how he's handled it now, you don't do it like that. Right. You just don't have to, 
I respect him as a black man. I respect him as a as where he's come from. I watched his documentary. I was moved emotion what he had to do to make it. Right. I oh, really yeah. was. I'm like, right. I was so impressed. I'm so impressed. He's one of my favorite artists ever. Right. But I was like, if you act like that, it doesn't matter how good you are. It turns on you. It transcends all the greatness. And I was so hard because I watched his documentary and I was like, dude, what he went through, the struggle, had to put on his own music. I was so impressed. I was like, dude, I've got a lot of respect for this guy. I re-listened to stuff. And then when I saw him coming undone, I was like, the poor guy's mental health is suffering. He's losing it now. And I felt bad. Honestly, I felt bad for him. I'm like, he needs love. He needs someone to pull him aside and say, dude, it's okay. Like, I get what you're struggling with, but you need to go to people. Don't put this out in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, that's what happens after a while if we don't have good people and we don't take care of ourselves because we think we're bigger than it is. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to be well, writing yeah. books, right? Right. You're blessed to be a stand-up. I'm blessed to be able to help people. I'm blessed to be able to do motivational speaking. Like, we have the best lives. Why would I fuck it yeah. up and be an asshole? I always look at it like this, though, too. It's, it's hard to get powerful people to go get treatment. You know? Powerful people. And I'm not even saying, like, rich people. I'm talking about, like, our fathers. People that have positions of power in our life. Yeah, yeah. Like, telling them to go get treatment. And I don't like to talk about politics too, but you never hear a politician really be like, I'll go to rehab. Because you know what it is as well? Everyone enables them. Oh, yeah. See, people tell people what they want to hear. They don't tell them the truth. And that's the hardest thing that I have to deal with when I do interventions is I set bottom lines with people. I'm like, look, you've got to know the point where someone's behavior, right, you got to cut them off. You got to say, I can't, I can't support that. I can support your health. I can support your recovery. I can support you sure. making empowering choices, but I can't go down, you know, supporting all this other crap. Absolutely. And then like, even for you, I love the, and this is a topic we talk about a lot on the show. I love the essence of where we are, like with mental health and stuff. And a lot more people are talking about it, but with a lot more people talking about it, there's a lot of like fugazi shit that comes in too. That's just any type of business. You know what I mean? Like stuff comes in and out and it becomes a thing. How do you try to stay? I don't use the word relevant because that's like a 16 year old, like Valley girl word. And I'm not like, I hate that word, but how do you try to stay, you know, in a sense, honest, honest, honest is, the, is a great word. Inspired well, though too authentic and then also just being able to be like you know there's a reason why i'm one of the better people in this space because we do have to have some kind of ego to be good at certain things you know what i do it's really simple so i now it's purpose my purpose is to inspire educate and motivate you to live your potential love yourself because you matter if i focus my purpose on people i make profit because the cause is right the effect is money so I don't, sure. don't listen to the noise. I don't get comparison syndrome. I know what I'm good at. I know how good I am. And I know the work I have to do. What people don't understand is the number, the most powerful frequency in the world that vibrates through the body is authenticity. Mm. So as long as I'm authentic, people, the body will smell up when that someone's a fraud and they go, this guy's prickly, or I don't know what it is about them, right? And guess what? Over time, even the people that got ripped off 
by Bernie Madoff. New. They're like, there was something about him. Yeah. You know, the human intuition is way more powerful. That's it. So all I do is I just do the right thing. And if I meet someone, go, oh, that guy is so, that's a fraud. You know what? Not my business. None of my business to call him out. I'm not in the business of calling people out. You know what I do? I send them love. I'm like, it sucks because you have to face yourself in the mirror. At some point, at some point. You have to pay the piper, brother. No one gets off scot-free. I've paid that man many times, dude, with many bad decisions I've made in my life. So I'm an all over the place type of guy. You seem like you were like an all over the place type of guy. I'm sure you still struggle with that to this day, right? Yeah, yeah. Childhood abuse for you, right? Drug use early. Obviously, the relationship with your dad, right? So how did your relationship with your father end for you? In the sense of how have I healed myself? Yes. So when I say that too, like in terms of when that situation happens, when I went to therapy, just like to, to catch you up, to get you the grasp of what I'm trying to say. When I went to therapy, I was like, I just want to get back to the old me. And they were like, yo, that dude's like gone, dude. You have to be like a brand new person now. Like we have to work on you. You can hold on to some things from the past, but that person was not functioning at a high level just to be a human being. How did you have to come to terms kind of with what you went through as a child, though? And then like I, to go back to the thing of, of power figures, right? We see dads as these, these power figures. You know what I mean? It's like every every boy has wanted to kick the shit out of their dad at some point. What was that like for you? Like, you know, because that's kind of asking you to heal at a young age. And it's probably something that I hope possibly you found closure in. Are you healed with it now? I'm here with it now. It took me years and it took a lot of good therapy and it took a lot of me understanding that twofold where there's two types of situations. There's information. There's always going to be some kind of information. To say that people didn't have information years ago is not true because Think and Grow Rich was written in the 1900s, right? Yeah, yeah. It it was around. You just had had to like... You know, you had to actually remember, like, you had to go to a library and, like, pull out a fucking... You had to dig. You had to dig. You had to dig. So the mindset back then wasn't like it is now where there's a growth mindset. So I look at my dad and go, okay, I understand generational trauma. He went through massive abuse. The abuse he suffered, he didn't regulate his emotions. So when I look at my upbringing and I, and I took it, I forgot me, and I said... How would my dad have gone through that? So what I did is I read what book changed my life, Gabor Mate's book, The Myth of Normal and the Realm of the Hung Yeah, and the Realm of the Hungry Ghosts. And it made me understand that it's not my job to change them. My job is to not carry my trauma and download it onto my son. Uh. And that's what a transitional character is. See, I escaped the environment, and now my job is to become a better human being. And I then can live vicariously through him being healthy. Mm. So I don't believe trauma leaves you. I look at it, we get better at seeing it. So when I look at, say, a traumatic event, to me it's like watching a horror movie. Something can trigger me to watch the movie, right, in my life. If I told someone to put on a movie they hated all day, they can still turn it off. So we have an ability to turn off the memory. 
But what happens is we get better at dealing with the memory. You know, my dad can still trigger me, but I don't look at him now like a violent, bad person. I look at him as a person that didn't have tools. So if you don't have the tools and you don't know how to use them, you don't regulate your emotions. And then people will always be like, well, like you're sympathizing with somebody. That's not what you're doing. I'm empathizing and being compassionate for a person that didn't have ability to self-regulate. So I think for anyone listening, for your audience, and the reason like I talk about in the book is that I, my first part of life, I let them know how much I suffered because of my mental health. Sure. Simple tools that daily, if you can regulate yourself and slow down the fight, flight, and freeze and feed mode and get in parasympathetic and give people a pass. Yeah. Forgive them. D- don't take it personal. Just go, now if someone says something to me, I'm not triggered. I'm just more curious. Like, wow. Oh, yeah, for you sure. Know, that came out a little harsh. Well, you know what I mean? Or- yeah, of course. Forgiveness is uh, as healing as it is to the person you're forgiving. It's like It's more healing for me, I feel like. I think Selfishly. it is because I think it means we yeah. grew up. We grew up. Yes. I don't think we ever grew up. That's the point. I don't think we ever arrived because like we get better at, at taking in the information and then processing it and not reacting and responding, right? And just be like, you know what? Let me just chill. You know what I mean? And I have one more question. Do you still get tattoos? I'm not an obsessed one. My next tattoo will be probably my son's like portrait and that's it. I'm not really an obsessive tattooed guy. Like I, I got a few and I was done. Like in like the N- in the NY Ink days, right? So like for you, yeah. do you still like enjoy tattoo culture? Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's really cool. Now I try to help people with mental health issues in the tattoo world. I'm still very close really? with Army. I sent him a book. Like I lost Yoji, killed himself, unfortunately. We were on New York Inc. together. A lot of heart for those artists, the the incredible people. Last question I ask everybody on the show is, are you happy today? Yes, I'm very happy. If I have to die tomorrow, I've left my wife in a good position. I've left my son in a great position. And I live with purpose every day. I've written four books. My editor has the books. The two other ones, if anything happens, he'll give them to my son and send them off. And I literally, if I have to go tomorrow, I know that I'm living with purpose. I've cleaned up baggage. If someone comes to me and says, hey, I mistreated them when I was using, that I make the amends straight away, but I cleared the slate, man. I am very content now. I, I get up every morning with a smile. I'm always grateful. That's beautiful. Before we go, where can everybody find you on the internet? Where can they find your books? All my books are on Amazon, makes it easier, and some bookstores, but everyone's on Amazon now. On social media, it's the T-H-E, Mike underscore Diamond, Instagram, Twitter. If anyone, I'm being dead serious, I'm not one of these jerk-offs, if someone is really in pain and they listen to this podcast and they need help or resources, send me, send me a message. You've got my email. They can send me an email. Just reach out. Do not suffer in silence. I would rather you call me or email me and say, I'm going through it, then end up killing yourself and thinking no one loves you and cares because someone cares. Absolutely. Listen, I couldn't have said it any better myself. You guys know you could always reach out to us at 101OTC on Instagram. And again, Mike, if there's anything we could ever do for you, we're here for you, brother. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Yeah, the best, Danny. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. 
If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!